correctly. Um, but uh, folks are welcome to send kids down. Um, again, we don't have a children's sermon today, sorry. Um, although I've heard my sermons are barely above children's sermon level, only slightly less entertaining. There we go. It's <laughs> man, that's rough. Um, so this week uh, on Friday, uh, I, I went grocery shopping. I went to the went to the Great Falls. Y'all have been there, maybe. Um, and 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 I, I did my shopping. And I I actually did it because we had things we needed to get. And my wife, like I I watch her, and sometimes our kids overwhelm her. I don't know. Some of y'all who have kids maybe understand how that is. <laughs> you get like like Abby is is I think maybe maybe on on full speed from you know morning to night. I mean she is just go 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 and and Titus is at the stage where he screams and cries and and um, so my wife works from home and the kids are all over the place and finally she kind of just like her brain starts sizzling and and I see the smoke coming out and and in order to help her out on Friday I had the day off I said I'm going to take the kids. And I'm going to do the grocery shopping so you will have a quiet day without them. And, and so I, I loaded them into the car and I drove to Great Falls. And I've got to say, anybody who takes more than two kids grocery shopping um, is earning a spot in heaven. Like, I don't believe you can earn a spot in heaven, but man, that's as close as it gets. <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm there and my daughter, I, I realized um, just this week that she's developed a new habit. Um, actually, I realized when I was in Great Falls, she's discovered that if she asks enough times, she's going to force a response from me. Um, and so, like, we were, were about 10 miles outside of Great Falls, and all of a sudden, it's, Dad, I'm hungry. Okay, honey. That, that's good. Dad, I'm hungry. I want to eat now. Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so I said, honey, look around you. Where, where am I getting food? <laughs> am I shooting something? What do you want? <laughs> like, I can't feed you right now. There's nothing I can do. And, and of course, that does nothing to slow her down. Um, and, and, I mean, throughout the day, it was one thing after another, after another, after another. And the last time, and actually, I, I finally won this battle, which I can't say often, because um, I'm married and I have children. I never win. Um, <laughs> no, that's winning in life in general. Um, <laughs> uh I, we're, we're at checkout in, in Walmart, and we have a cart full of groceries, and I, I, it's the last thing we're doing during the day, and my nerves are shot, and my daughter sees suckers, like those giant suckers they put right next to the register, because they know parents are, are destroyed by this point, and they'll just do anything to get the kid to be quiet. Stick that in your mouth. Um, and my daughter stands up in the cart, points, and says, I want a peach-flavored sucker. I want a peach-flavored sucker. I want a peach-flavored sucker. I want a peach-flavored Over and over again. And I stopped, and I turned around, and I said, Abby, do you think I'm going to give you a peach flavored sucker? Yeah, Abby, do you think I'm going to? <laughs> Abby, do you think I'm going to give you a peach flavored sucker? Abby, do you think? And finally, she gets mad and she's like, "Stop it!" <laughs> okay, honey, I'll stop. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> um, my daughter unfortunately inherited something from me, not from her mom. She got her good looks from her mom, and she got her her winning personality from me, and that that includes a lack of patience. Um, 
my daughter, if she asks for something, if it's not right now, it's, it's not going to happen. And then she has to go ask the other parent or she has to ask you 45 more times. And, and like now, 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 right? Anybody else have little kids and experience? Anybody have teenagers? Because <laughs> I think there may be worse, right? Um, if it's not right now, it's, it's not ever going to happen. And actually, my philosophy in life is I want what I want, and I want it right now. Um, and, and as we kind of shift into our preaching series for, for this, this month, we're going to be looking at, um, actually, we're going to be working through John. Um, I, I've been doing whole books of the New Testament here recently, and um, I, I want to do all of John, but for us to do all of John, we can't do it in order, or else we end up doing, like, no Easter series. Um, so we're going to be doing all of the book of John here, um, and we're starting just early enough that we're going to get a, you know, it's going to line up with Easter, except we have to skip some chapters, which we're going to do later. Um, um, and then we'll go back and, and do the beginning during, during Christmas. Um, so during the course of this year, we're going to do all of the book of John. And so if you like John, good luck. That'll be great. Um, if not, pay attention, and you'll learn to like it. Um, a little bit of background, uh, John was the last of the disciples to die, and he wrote his book way late in life. So it's about, he's about 90. Actually, if you, if you read what was said about him by the, by the people who were his contemporaries at the end of his life, he was so old and exhausted that he would preach every Sunday in church, but he would get up, and by the time he was up there, he would get enough energy together to say, brothers, love each other. And then he goes sit down again, and making him probably the most in-demand pastor in the world. <laughs> um, um, he was the only one who died of natural causes, though he did die in prison. He was the only one of the 12 disciples to die of natural causes. All the rest were executed, swearing they saw what they saw. Um, John died of natural causes. He wrote this fairly late in, in, in the history of the church, and so he, he has a different perspective where he's addressing different problems at the time. The other thing that's unique about John's gospel is that John is writing to Jewish people that are like called the diaspora, right? That's a big word. It means Jewish people that don't live in Israel. Got it? Um, and so he's writing this with a very Jewish perspective, but it's a very weird Jewish perspective because it's not like homegrown Jewish perspective. It's like foreigner Jewish perspective. Got it? And that's going to come up, don't worry, over the course of the next year. It's going to come up, so you're going to hear it more than once, but it's important to mention because it's important. Um, up until this point, John has spent all of his gospel kind of weaving in the Jewish holidays, right? Because every one of the Jewish holidays is a part of the gospel story. It's the part of the story of Jesus. And John spends a lot of time working on that. And we're going to probably at the beginning of next year dig into that and look at how God set up the story of Jesus like thousands of years before he was born, just in the holidays that the Jews celebrated. Um, in the preceding chapter, we're coming in right after Jesus almost gets lynched, right? He's, he's talking to a group of Jewish people. He basically refers to himself by God's name. And they said, all right, we're going to kill you. And they gather up stones to stone him, and he escapes, right? And when he escapes, it's not really clear where he goes, it's possible he only travels a few miles. Um, some scholars argue he goes about 150 kilometers, which I have no idea how far that is because I'm not Canadian. Um, 
But he's, he's escaped. He's gotten away. This is immediately after he's escaped. And we're going to kind of dive into the text. Um, chapter 11 starts very abruptly. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are kind of interesting. They, they get mentioned as Jesus' friends, right? They're not his disciples. They're his friends. And it's one of the only times we discover people who are not interacting with Jesus on, like, a professional level, right, or on a teaching ministry level. These are people who are, are his, his close friends. Um, the other thing that comes into play here is um, he mentions that Mary is the one who anoints Jesus' feet with ointment. It hasn't been told yet in this story. It's actually like two chapters away. Um, and so um, John mentions this because every early Jewish person would have known who this Mary was. Got it? They would have known this story. It was a well-circulated like, like story, as well as probably the account we're going to dive into. Probably it was the case that every Jewish person, every Christian had heard about what happened with Lazarus, right? Um, one last little bit here. They're in Bethany. That's the city they just escaped from. Okay, so um, Lazarus is back in the area where Jesus was almost executed, and um, he, he gets sick. And in the ancient world, if you got sick, it was kind of a coin toss as to whether or not you survived it. Um, so the sisters sent him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Now we're going to pause here. Some of you all have been in church before or maybe have read the Bible once or twice. Does Lazarus die? Yes. Does his illness lead to death? Well, yeah, he's sick and he dies. Hey, that's enough out of you, Rose. <laughs> um, it was you, right? I figured it was smart alecky and it came from that direction. It had to be. Um, <laughs> um, he does die. And so when Jesus says this, um, like, there's sort of this temptation to say, oh, well, he was incorrect. Actually, he wasn't incorrect because Jesus knows what's going to happen, right? He's come to, like, a major marking point in the ministry, and he knows what's coming, and he sees it, and he says, hey, don't worry. He's going to be alive when it's all said and done, right? Because, you know, here's the, here's the spoiler. If you haven't heard the story, Lazarus dies, and Jesus brings him back. Um, it is for the glory of God and that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, John is the evangelist who mentions Jesus using this phrase more than once, right? It's twice, actually. Um, for the glory of God, in this context, that means God reveals himself, right? It's because um, God, is, God is glorious in and of himself. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of attention. He's worthy of praise, um, like, in and of himself. And so for God just to reveal himself is enough, right? It's like... Um, on, on my wedding day, if my wife, she wore a veil, right? She didn't cover her face with it um, because it was like 100 degrees. Um, but if she had covered her face when she lifted it, it would have revealed herself. And you've seen the glory of my wife's, you know, gorgeous face. I'm probably in trouble for something this morning, so I'm <laughs> treading water. Um, and so what, what he's saying is God is going to reveal himself here, and he's going to reveal something about God's son here, which is him, Right? And so he says, listen, there's a big reveal coming. You're going to learn something huge about who God is. It is coming. 
Now, the other time he uses this phrase, um, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they come across a guy who's blind, and they're standing there next to the blind guy, and the disciples say to him, hey, Jesus, was this guy born blind because his parents are evil or because he is? And Jesus is like, well, neither. He was born blind so God's glory would be revealed. And then Jesus spits on the ground, actually, makes mud and puts it in the guy's face and heals him. Um, and so, like, like, this is sort of a hint that something is coming, right? But it's also an indicator of, like, these miracles. I'm going to say this very carefully. It's very often the case that people get angry because God could just snap a finger and fix this. Anybody ever feel that way? God, if you could just snap a finger and make my kids behave, or if you could just snap a finger and make this sickness go away, or snap a finger and make this, this debt disappear, or snap a finger and make you know, my, my um, car not awful, or, or whatever. I mean, like, like, in the end, what we learn here about miracles is miracles exist for a specific purpose. Right? It's part of how God reveals himself. And in these two instances, we see where Jesus reveals himself through miracles. Um, and so, like, there are folks who, preachers who will talk about God's intervention and miraculous response as though God's some kind of vending machine. You know, you throw in the right amount and you get a bag of Doritos and a little bit of, like, financial success. God don't work that way. God has, you know, God has a different perspective on the world. And that's an important thing here. God has a different perspective on the world. And it's about to play out here. And it begins with this statement, by the way. Um, this illness does not lead in death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Um, Jesus has a very different perspective than everybody else sitting in the room, right? Everyone else. He's got messengers who've showed up and told him something serious. Hey, your friend is dying. And those guys are like, hey, come on. <laughs> Let's go fix this. And Jesus is like, hey, don't worry. I got this. Right? Because he has a very different perspective on what's going to happen. The disciples probably said, oh, Jesus said it's going to be okay, so it'll be okay. End of story. Right? Very different perspective than what God's perspective is in this situation. Like Jesus is looking at it with a whole world before him. Having read the novel, having helped write it, like he knows how it ends. And so um, we keep going. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Lazarus was Mary and Martha's brother. He was very close with them. It's one of the only times where we see the phrase, Jesus loved, right? We see it about John, who's the author of this gospel. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. He doesn't ever use his own name. He only refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. But, like, if you pay attention, he slips toward the end, and he says the disciple that Jesus loved, and then Peter said this. And then John responded, hey, what, you know, and whoops, gave it away. So we know that, like, John's talking about himself, and we know he's the one who wrote the gospel. But also we know that Jesus is very close with these people, right? Jesus has a close, intimate friendship with them. He's got an emotional attachment. And so, and we're going to see this a little later on, um, when Jesus says, don't worry, it's going to turn out okay, he's not saying it from an emotionally detached perspective, right? And it's very easy to say that. And actually, we see that in Job, where Job gets angry at God because of all the awful stuff that's happened to him. And he turns around and says, God, do you even have eyes of flesh that you can see what I'm going through, right? And as a matter of fact, in Jesus, God has eyes of flesh, and he sees what we're going through because his friend, 
these people that he loves are about to face something pretty horrible, right? Um, They're about to go through a very, very difficult thing. Um, But, um, and and Jesus sees it, and he experiences it, and he mourns with them, because right before Jesus brings Lazarus back to life, what does he do? He weeps, right? Everybody memorize that verse? (laughs) Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. But Jesus felt what was going on. He was not detached. He didn't, it wasn't like, oh, I don't care. Jesus mourned with them. And I think even going into this, there's probably a case to be made for the fact that Jesus was not like, I mean, there's, there's an emotional connection here. This isn't, oh, hey, you know, it's all right. Don't worry about it. You know, yeah, he's going to die. and everybody's going to be pretty upset. and There's going to be a pretty awful funeral and everything else. But he's totally coming back, so it's okay. No. You know, Jesus mourns when he arrives, and, and I don't think he's detached. Um, 7 to 10. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, what's the problem with going to Judea? They're like jumping back into the hornet's nest, right? Um, They're going back where people are trying to kill them. Um, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you. Are you now going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? By the way, are there 12 hours in a day? There's 24 hours in a day. In the ancient world, what they would do is sun up to sundown was daytime, right? And they marked it out by 12 hours no matter how long the day was. And so 12 hours in the day refers to the fact that, hey, the sun comes up, the sun goes down, it's light out at certain times, right? Um, Are there not 12 hours in the day, if I can find my spot again? Um, If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of of this world. But if anyone walks in the light or in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. There's two halves of this, okay? Now watch this. Jesus is talking about himself first. He's saying, listen, I have a certain amount of time that I get to work, right? Jesus gets to teach. He gets to preach. He gets to minister. He does some healing. He does some other stuff. Like Jesus is able to do things for a certain amount of time. He has an appointed time for his ministry. This is a major theme in John's gospel. When that time is over, Right? Things get real dark real quick. Um, And Jesus basically backs up and says, you know what? I see what God wants from me because he's got a different perspective. You know, God isn't sending him into a dangerous place to heal Lazarus. Right? He's not going into the mouth of a lion. Like, he knows God is in control. Um, But he knows night is coming. And actually, that's significant because this is the very beginning of John setting up the story of the crucifixion, right? The death is coming. Um, And so John is beginning to set it up, and he begins to set it up by saying, listen, it's daytime now, but the night is coming. The other half of this is the disciples who have the option of going with him to die, right? We're going to get to that in a minute at the end of the sermon. Don't worry, it'll be there. But they have the option of going with him, or they can say, well, I'm going to wait here, (laughs) Let me know how it goes, right? Because Jesus is the light to the world. Like, he is this light in the world, and they have the opportunity to come with him and to walk and to do the work that God has got for them. Um, because after the night shows up, what do the disciples do? They turn tail and run, right? As soon as, like, the arrest happens, the light of the world begins to go out, they take off. They stumble. And so Jesus is basically tossing it out there and saying, hey, if you want to come with me, you want to show your, you know, your medal." Do it now, because right now it's going to work. Um, 
I'm going to toss this out there again because it's recurring in what we're looking at today. Jesus has a very different perspective. God has a very different perspective on how your, how your world, how your life works, right? It is very easy to think that, you know, if God isn't doing it for me now, if God isn't jumping right now, it's not going to work out, right? If God doesn't do exactly what I want when I want him to, it's going to fall apart, And I think a lot of times we fall into this trap of being like my daughter, right? I want it right now. I don't even care if what I get isn't as good as what I would get. I want it now. Um, After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Um, Now, it's just a little mention here. Um, Has fallen asleep is not a common phrase for death in in this time during the ancient world. It's really unusual that Jesus uses it. Um, we do see it in the Old Testament referring to death, and only in the book of Daniel do we see it referring to resurrection. If you want to read this, that verse, by the way, the resurrection verse, um, in your bulletins, there's a list of readings for the week that are related in one way or the other to the sermon. Um, the Daniel verse is on there, for I think, for Thursday. Um, so if you want to just continue to think about what the message has been about this week, that's one way to do it. Um, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Because they're assuming that what he said before was accurate, right? And sometimes, like my daughter does this, when she gets sick and she runs a fever for a couple days, when that fever breaks, what happens? She sleeps like, not like a baby. Babies sleep terrible. I don't know where that phrase came from. She sleeps well. They say, hey, you know what? If he's asleep, that's good. He's recovering. Now Jesus had spoken to him of his death. But they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Um, now watch this. Jesus has waited two days at this point, right? They get the news, they hang out for two days. It's anywhere from a day to maybe two more days' journey, right? Um, one way or the other, we know that like Lazarus is in the grave for four days when they show up. Um, In the ancient world, it was assumed if they buried you at two days and you got up and left, you might actually not have been dead in the first place. (laughs) I'm just saying. It was not unusual for people to, like, get buried and, like, oh, wow, sorry, (laughs) totally weren't dead. Um, And so it's possible, like, like, but Jesus hangs out for two extra days, which, by the way, um, is a solid argument that procrastination can glorify God. Amen. Um, <laughs> so they, they wait two days, and Jesus says, listen, it's good for you that I wasn't there. Why? Because if he had been there, he could have healed him, right? And it would have been tough for him to say, hey, I'm not going to heal. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let Lazarus die so I can bring him back. That would have looked kind of obnoxious. Um, so Jesus would have healed him had he been there. They wouldn't have seen, like, Lazarus resurrected. Um, the other thing that happens there is, um, by waiting a little longer, they have definitive proof. You can't just explain away four days, because four days is dead, right? In the ancient world, as far as they were concerned, your expiration date happened. Four days after that, if you didn't get up and walk, you were dead dead. Like, you were really dead. And so, um, Jesus says, listen, it is for your benefit that you had to wait. It is lucky for you that you had to wait. It is lucky for you that I didn't do the easy thing. Anybody ever feel like God should do what they want right now? Anybody ever gripe because God isn't moving quite fast enough for you? 
sometimes it's for our benefit that God does things the way he does. And it's not fun, right? Thank you. Uh, 11.16. So Thomas, by the way, where else do we know Thomas from? Doubting Thomas, right? Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him, right? Um, The assumption is that he's talking about Jesus, not Lazarus. Um, Though he might have been, I don't know. I, I read it and I was like, oh, maybe he's talking about Lazarus. But the assumption is he's talking about Jesus. And the disciple Thomas basically says, all right, well, if he's going to die, let's go, right? Let's, let's just go ahead and die with him. We will, we will own this. Because it's light, what are you going to do? You're going to walk in the light. And that's exactly what Thomas is going to do. He's got the worst reputation for probably not the rightest reason, right? Because Thomas was ready to go and die. Um, he says, all right, let's go do this. We're going to cut off there. Um, I'm dividing this up because there's so much to the story of Lazarus that gets missed. Now, check this out. In this beginning, what we see, and, and I know it's a short story and almost nothing's happened, Jesus waits, right? He hangs out for a couple days. Um, and he says, basically, you're lucky I waited, right? What do we do with this? Well, first off, God's timing is better than our timing, right? God's timing is always going to be better than our timing. He, he knows how things are going to work out. Um, sometimes it's the case that God timing is not in this life, right? Um, I, I was reading um, this week something that, that a local person wrote, actually. I read it on the Internet, um, and, and it, was, it was basically to the effect of, well, why does God take the best ones first, right? Why does it seem like the best people I know die first? Um, and I say, well, Francis is still alive. And she's one of the best people I know. <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> um, ultimately, um, sometimes God's timing is not about this lifetime. Because our lifetime, right? Um, our lifetime, it's a very temporary thing. Uh, on a, Larry and I were talking about life insurance this morning. On a, on a good stretch, I might go to 102 years, Right? But I know how I lived the first 30 years of my life, and so I'm betting on 70. Right? Like, I may make it to 70 if I'm really lucky and I eat my vegetables from here on out. Like, I might get lucky and make it to 70. Um, but after that, it's over, right? Lazarus gets brought back to life. What happens to Lazarus in the long run? He still dies, right? Jesus didn't bring him back forever, forever. Oftentimes, like when we back up, and we look at this, we, we don't realize that um, God's timing takes into account eternity, right? It takes into account a whole extra time that we don't get to see. And because we live in this world and we see things from our perspective in the here and now, it's easy to lose sight of forever, right? There are all these things that I want now. And God may look at me and say, you know what? It ain't good for you now. It ain't good for you at all, right? Um, as much as my daughter would love to have candy every time she asks, right? If I feed it to her, is it going to be good for her? Heck, if I give her everything she wants, is it going to be good for her? No. Um, oftentimes I think God does things or doesn't do things because it's what's best for us. Um, there's this whole trust thing that has to happen. And trust only works and patience only comes about if you trust and if you wait. 
um, Titus, our one-year-old, our year-and-a-half-year-old, he'll be two before long, um, he's, he's learned that if he jumps off of something, I'm always going to catch him, right? Which is insane, because there's going to be a day I'm not going to be standing nearby, and he's going to jump off the couch, and, well, look, didn't work out, or, you know, I'll be doing something like reading a book, and all of a sudden I see his head <laughs> sailing, and i got to throw the book and catch him, Right? But he learned that because the first time he did it, I didn't let him fall. And the second time he did it, I didn't let him fall. And when I threw him way up in the air, I caught him, right? So he's figured out, well, dad's going to catch me no matter what. But there was a beginning point where Titus didn't want to jump off stuff, right? And he didn't want to go down the slide at the playground because what happens when I get to the bottom, right? The reality is that part of God's timing sometimes is training us teaching us to trust. Um, Second big thing to draw out of this is that God is in control of our lives and our deaths, right? At the end of the day, um, Jesus says in in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, not a hair falls from your head without the will of the Father in heaven being involved, right? Like, not even a hair from your head. You've got reason to be mad, Brooke. Um, (laughs) Without a hair from falling from your like like God is in control of every last moment of it. He has our days numbered, right? Um, at the end of the day, like like this temporary period I have is in His control. I may mourn, I may be sad. I think He mourns with us. Why? Because Jesus wept with Mary and Martha, even though He was going to bring Him back, like not two minutes later, right? God mourns with us when we mourn. He hurts with us when we hurt. But sometimes you got to do stuff that hurts because it's the right thing, because it's what's best. But I don't want what God wants for me, right? It's not easy. God's ability to teach us um, happens even through the worst of circumstances. Um, It's a hard reality that, and we'll look at this with Mary and Martha next week, right? Mary and Martha... Um, actually get mad at Jesus when he shows up. They're like, hey, where were you? If you had showed up a little earlier, this wouldn't have happened, right? Even in the worst of stuff, God can teach us. And actually, I'll tell you, um, even when we fail the biggest, even when we sin the largest, even when we like drop the ball worst, God can teach us through our own brokenness. And most of all, he can teach us about grace. Because... This story of Lazarus is really the story of, first off, God controlling life and death, and ultimately about God abolishing death. Because Jesus, God's son, when we reach the end of the Gospel of John, is going to take all of the punishment that I have piled up, and all of the sin that you've piled up, and he's going to take it all on himself and get punished in our place, and we're going to be able to be forgiven because of that, right? And so this story, as we go into it, recognize painful stuff, God can teach you. Even your own brokenness, God can use to change you, to teach you to lean on him more. Um, Because at the end of the day, even if it doesn't work out today, even if it doesn't work out tomorrow, even if it doesn't work out next week, God has a big picture in mind, right? Um, For a long time, it troubled me that Lazarus came back to life. But if you go to the end of Peter's life, the disciple Peter, who like was the leader of the church, like 
one of Jesus' closest friends. At the end of Peter's life, he was forced to watch his wife be crucified, right? Did she come back the next day? Actually, he was crucified the next day, right? But he went there saying, I know I will be back. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that there's life after. And so ultimately, like Peter, at the end of all of his teaching, having run away and sworn at little kids that he didn't know Jesus, right? Peter trusted in it. And God taught him through his own brokenness and through his own failures and through some of the hardest experiences he could possibly get to. And we'll look at that a little after Easter, actually. It's on the preaching schedule. Um, but God can teach us even through the worst of it. But honestly, learning sometimes means you've got to learn, Right? My daughter has not learned to stop asking over and over again, right? Because she don't want to learn it. <laughs> she hasn't learned to be patient because she don't want to learn to be patient. She wants it now. Um, ultimately, like learning in these circumstances, learning in difficulty means that we trust him. We trust that God loves us and that he's watching out for us. That even though we're hurting, even though we're sad, even though we're depressed, even though we're scared, even though we're frustrated, that him being in charge, he's forgiven us, there's life after death, he's going to set the whole thing right in eternity because it's one of the things that Christ promises us over and over again. Um, and as we look at this, this is a precursor to the resurrection, right? This is the beginning of us learning about Jesus dying on the cross and coming back. Um, and, and so as we work on into the next part of the story of Lazarus, um, be aware this is the beginning of the end for Jesus, right? And it begins with a miracle. Crazy. Um, my challenge for you this week um, is to back up and look, right? Look at your own life. Look at your own heart. Look at the places that you're struggling. Look at the place you're crying out to God. Look at the places where you're so mad that you're not even talking to him about it. You're just saying, I'm going to be angry about this. And God just better deal with it. Everybody else better deal with it. Look at, the, look at the junk and ask yourself, is this an area where I'm trusting God? Is this an area where I'm trying to grow? Um, is this an area where I've just accepted it and I'm sitting in it waiting for him to get, get past it, even though it may not be in this lifetime? I've talked to folks in my time in ministry, and it's been, I don't know, 15, 17 years, something like that. Um, I've talked to folks who will look back at a time in their life and say, this thing is going to affect me until I die, and I don't understand why God did it. Or God let it happen. And in the end, they may never understand. I've had those same people come back to me later and say, you know what, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me because God has used it to fix other people. Or God blessed me in this way. But ultimately, what do we have to do? We've got to trust him. Trust. <laughs> I failed in this way. I sinned in this way. How could God let me do that? Ultimately, we learn about grace when we're at the bottom. Right? Um, where where, where do you need to learn this? Where do you need to apply it? Where do you need to trust him more? Where do you need to back up and say, God's in control, he can be in control. I'll let him be in control, and I'll submit during that time. Like, where's it at? Um, as we go further into Lazarus, we'll look a little bit more at, at the idea of God's renewing um, and, and how he fixes it. But this week, it's all about trusting, right? Because Jesus waited two days before he left. He procrastinated before he went. Was it really procrastination? No, I'm saying that because it's funny, I think. And it gives me an excuse. Um, <laughs> 
Jesus waited because it's what was best. God isn't slow in fulfilling his promise. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. We're going to close in prayer, um, and we'll do a blessing. And then we will um, go out, and we will do what God wants us to do today, right? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and help us to recognize where we need to lean on you and trust you and, and just, just help us to recognize that, that sometimes when things are bad and wrong and hurt, that you know, you're in control, that we just have to trust that you know what you're doing. We have to trust that even if in this life it's not made right, that you've promised that it will be in the long run, that you'll wipe away every tear and that you'll set everything in the right way and that you will repay Lord, in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand.